0: Are such a blessing, and it's such a blessing to be able to have some youth come on and be a part of the band as well this morning. Um, I really hope that you have enjoyed our time together. Um, it is so special to be able to uh, celebrate baptism, and to especially celebrate baptism in the life of our young people. Um, and so I hope it's been an encouragement to you, um, and I hope it will be an encouragement throughout the week as well. Uh, is everyone ready to go back to school tomorrow? Oh, that was... <laughs> poor sounding, so poor sounding. No, that's okay. Um, We uh, are approaching school. We're getting ready to get back to school. Um, I wanted to start um, by asking everyone a few questions. Um, Mind you, the testimony uh, of Chloe and her story and baptism in general has really shaped the message for this morning. So we really want to honour Chloe and her story for that. But a couple of questions for all of you. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm getting into like the like crime doco phase of my life? Is anyone else there? Oh, it's just me. (laughs) I clearly have too much time on my hands. Um, I love the profiling and the assessing and all the different questions that they ask. So I want to ask you a question. Hands up if you would consider yourself a critical thinker or a problem solver. Where's Mike Mills? Yeah, hand right up, mate. (laughs) Pretty much engineers, I'm going to say, in the room. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I tell you what, Rush Trevor has enough engineers to like build a building from the ground up, it's wild. Um, On the other side, do you put your hand up if you feel like you're perhaps a little bit more emotionally driven? It's got to feel right in order to be right, and it's got to make you feel good to make the decision. Yeah, okay. I feel like there's a lot of people that didn't vote, so maybe you're somewhere in between, that's okay. Um, What's really fun is when a critical thinker and a really emotional person get married. That's really fun. Yeah, Mike and Sue Mills, yeah, Jacob, yeah, yeah. Uh, takes off a lot of the pre-marriage counselling ahead of time. Um, but it's really good to know ahead of time too. Um, just note the tone, because clearly that's been my life experience. Um, in stressful situations, next question. Do you, um, are you the sort of person that reverts into that procrastination? Kind of, oh, really? Oh, I'm just going to eat. Oh, I'm just going to watch TV. Um, a bit apathetic, just kind of generally shuts down and internalizes a lot of stuff. Hands up if that's you. Don't. I'm putting it's me, so I'm putting my hand up. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. On the flip side, does being in a stressful situation make you work, 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 so that that thing that's stressing you out doesn't control the situation anymore? Who's like that? Interesting. See how I've primed you all up to ask the question that I want to ask? Who likes change? Honest, I like it, I like it. There are some people who love change, who see it as an opportunity, who see it as a chance to reinvent yourself, uh, do something new, try something new, uh, learn more about yourself in the process. If I look at myself on the spectrum, I'm probably leaning more towards liking change. But if you're anything like my husband, man, the routine sounds good. The routine, the rhythm, the structure, it eliminates a lot of the ambiguity, it keeps things nice and calm and controlled, and if you're somewhat like him, maybe it actually herbs or curbs some of the anxiety that change can bring. Would you say that's true for some people? It it curbs some of the anxiety that change can bring. I think it's really interesting to talk about how we all respond to change because out there in the world, there's a lot of different things, a lot of um, understandings, a lot of definitions, a lot of um, information goes into understanding how we all respond to change. So for some, uh, scientists would say it's a nature versus a nurture debate. Psychologists might say it's all about what Enneagram you are and how you respond to change. Maybe things that happened in your childhood will affect how you um, process change, but perhaps one overlooked factor for consideration is what theology has to say about change. I wonder if anyone's thought about that before. If you go back and think through all of the big moments in your life, those moments that required you to pivot really harshly, to really... um, Accept that you need to change what's presented in front of you. What has been cannot be anymore, and you've got to find something new. Or something has really caused you to adapt in a situation. I wonder what might be coming up in your mind. It may have been starting a new school. Going from primary school to high school is a huge pivot. Sometimes you've got to find new friendship groups altogether. Maybe it's a new relationship, getting married, being engaged. That's a huge change. Take it from me. A huge change. The birth of a child. I don't know what that's going to be like, but we're going to find out soon. Maybe a relationship breakdown. Maybe it's the grief you feel and the pain that you felt over losing a loved one. Maybe it's that pain and grief that you still have over dreams and desires that have maybe not been met, or your feelings are still left unanswered. Sometimes we bury ourselves. And we double down in the things that we know and uh, we, we hold so tightly onto our old habits because it actually is a way of exercising a little bit of control in a situation, isn't it? Sometimes we embrace it and we don't work against it, we actually work with it. We don't fight it, we invite it. I think the reality is that change is not a reality that exists in isolation to our emotional self, our psychological self, or our physical self, change is actually deeply spiritual and theological as well in nature. And you might ask me why. Why is that? Well, number one, Uh, Firstly, because that's what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that uh, the new life that he bought for us on the cross requires a change of our heart posture that leads to a change of our final destination and our eternal destination. And secondly, because the type of transformation that the Bible talks about goes beyond the individual of just simply you and I, but it goes to incorporate the whole body of Christ and the cosmic reconciliation of all things to Lord Jesus. And so I go back to my original question. Do you like change? Maybe more accurately, my question should be, do you fight change or do you invite change, especially when the Holy Spirit is involved in that conversation? Regardless of your comfortability with it, regardless of um, how you think you might adapt to the situation, new life in Jesus points to change and that's an inescapable truth. Biblical understanding of this new life is taught throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, but it's perhaps given its most um, recognisable language and colour through the Apostle Paul. And I think it would be true to say that this is the case because isn't his life a testament to the spiritual change that takes place? Would you agree? His life is a testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit coming to change him and his encounter with Jesus. And so he spends a great deal of his ministry in his letters to the early churches, teaching, reminding and testifying to the power of Jesus. That's at work when we invite rather than fight the spiritual renovation that begins when a life is hidden in Christ. And so Paul speaks about a spiritual change and that Sort of happens in two ways, which I want to talk about today. One is conducted by the renewing of our minds, right? Romans 12. The second has more practical implications because of the renewing of our mind. And that we hear from the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. So we're going to jump around a little bit today, but we're going to start in Romans 12, which will be up on the screen behind me. And we're going to read Romans 12, 1 to 2, which is a very well-known piece of scripture for those who have been in the church for some time. If you're new to church today, this is a great piece of scripture. And please listen, because it's really, really helpful to life in general. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. It's a classic, isn't it? It's classic. Paul has learnt that to truly live a life transformed... We cannot withhold from God. We cannot withhold from God the very thing that he gave to us to test and approve his will, which is our mind. We cannot withhold from God the very thing he gave to us to test and approve his will. If our minds are not transformed under Jesus, formed under Jesus, they will be formed by something else. There is no neutral ground in this place. There is no neutral ground. If your mind is not transformed or formed under Jesus, it will be by something else. If you're not continually renewed by the Holy Spirit and your mind filled with the gospel, life is a little less bright, isn't it? It's a lot more blurry even. And I would argue significantly less meaningful as well. The spiritual battleground takes place in the mind, and there will be people here today that live that truth each and every day. The mind is the spiritual battleground where faith can be won or lost. I would argue that sometimes we think of the heart more than the mind when it comes to transformation. I'm not saying that one is more important than the other. But sometimes we think about what feels good rather than the truth we know in our heads, don't we? Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the reason that new life requires the renewal and the transformation of the mind is because what the mind finds reasonable, the will finds doable. And then the emotions find desirable. In layman's terms, what you think you'll do and it'll make you feel good. Has anyone ever experienced that before? What you think you do, and then all of a sudden that feedback loop makes you feel good and creates an emotion, whether or not that's helpful or unhelpful in your spiritual formation. The mind is a powerful tool. Read the letter of James. The mind is a powerful tool, and it's potent if left untamed. And so we as people who want to follow the teachings of Jesus, must offer that and surrender that to him for transformation so that he rules that battleground and not anyone else. If you were to have a look at the the place that you find yourself now, would you say that your mind is undergoing transformation? Could you say that you're actually inviting God into that process or would you say that you're fighting it? Maybe because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Maybe because it's challenging. Maybe because stuff gets brought to the surface that actually you don't really know how to deal with that. Can I say, Jesus will meet you where you're at. He will meet you where you're at. And the reality is that we don't finish our transformation until we're reconciled with God when Jesus makes his second advent to us. So we are all on that journey of the transformation of the mind. Where might you be fighting or resisting transformation towards new life? You may be denying the invitation to the Holy Spirit. You may be denying the invitation to the Holy Spirit. On the other side of the coin, Paul flips it. And he says, now we've got some stuff we've got to do. Now there's some practical outworkings because of what Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has done to our minds. Now we have to practically live this out. And there's a standard of Christ-like living that Paul encourages us to. And he says that the old ways are done, the old ways are done, and the new is here, and your new life is here. So let's read from Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, "...since then you have been raised with Christ." Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, its, of the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's a beautiful piece of scripture. It's a big piece of scripture that can sometimes do this. It's one that uh, parents might quote when their kid's misbehaving. Be patient, be kind, be gentle. How often do we just sit under the weight of scripture and allow it to speak to us, to transform our mind, to move us to a place of action? Paul says that to be hidden in Christ is to be raised with him, is to be found in him and to be unified with him. And Paul says that actually means something. Like, it actually means something important. It's more than just some sticker you buy from Coorong and slap it onto your car to make you feel good so that the people out on the street know that you're a Christian. It's more than that. You actually have some responsibility now. Because Paul, he both factually states, but he also encourages and exhorts us because we now share in new resurrection life and what we think and how we act and, and the things that we pursue and our ambitions, they actually mean something now. They have to be centred on Jesus in an ongoing effort to be striving towards this Christ-likeness. And again, if your mind has not been awoken to Christ, your actions are not going to follow. If your mind has not been awoken to Christ, your actions are not going to follow. Does that mean that you'll never be angry again? You'll never swear? You'll never use your words for discouragement? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that any temptation towards sexual sin or greed or self-centered desires are simply just going to disappear? It doesn't mean that either. But what it does mean is that our behaviors, our thoughts and our desires, they will be tested and they will be refined. And it will be uncomfortable. And it might even hurt at times because you're being forced to face your own brokenness. But it's not an invitation and it's not not a cycle of transformation that is completely one sided. Jesus is on the other side of that transformation. And he's the one that encourages us and pushes us forward. And let me just say maybe you're sitting here today and this is making you uncomfortable. Maybe it's making you uncomfortable what I'm saying. May I just prod a little bit further? The longer you fight the process, of transformation, the longer you fight when God is, is placing His hand on a part of your heart, a part of your mind, the more painful the process might be. The more painful the process might be. Maybe a posture of surrender might be what the word is that God has for you today. a posture of surrender towards transformation an invitation into surrender for transformation let me tell you God is far more determined than you are he is far more patient than you may realize and it's because he loves you in a way that maybe you and I'm sure none of us will ever comprehend He loves us too much to keep us in the state and the place that he finds us. He encourages us and brings us through the refining fire for a purpose. It might sting, it might be hot and feel uncomfortable, but you will come out looking more like Christ. You will come out reflecting a greater image of him into this world when you invite rather than fight transformation. All this brokenness that we carry, it doesn't belong to our new selves, Paul is saying. Instead, it's our old self, the self that we've left behind. It means that the old is gone and the new is here and we are all somewhere along that journey. The old is gone and the new is here. It means that kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness are actually behaviours that are possible now. Where dysfunction and darkness may have ruled. It means you have the opportunity for forgiveness. And Pastor Mike spoke a brilliant word on forgiveness a few weeks ago. And if that is a struggle for you, if that is something you are still trying to process, then please go and have a listen to that sermon number one. But please come and find someone to pray for you. Forgiveness is the crux of what our faith is. That we are a forgiven people. And that we now forgive because of what we've been forgiven for. A new life means love. Love is so misconstrued and baseless in this society now. It is manipulated, it is contorted, it is misunderstood, it is misdefined. But the love that God has for us is true. It's wonderful, it's full, it's complete. There is no thing that you can possibly do to be loved any more than you are now, however broken and dark and ugly the place you are right now might be. There is no way you can be more loved than you are now. And that's what we get to celebrate today. That's what we get to celebrate because Chloe has shown us what a transformed mind can lead to, a mind that's been brought to life because she's encountered what God can be to her in darkness and in grief and in pain and in loss and in those painful moments. But when she encountered God, that led her to a place of action, that led her to a place of baptism. So I wonder where you might be on your long journey, a lifelong journey in transformation and towards Jesus. Where are you on that journey? What's your next step, I wonder? I have no doubt that for some it might be baptism. I have no doubt. And Chloe has been such an example to us and has led us so beautifully and demonstrated to us what baptism is. It's me saying, here I am, God. Here I am, church. I'm going to do it for you now, Jesus. I'm going to stuff up. It's not going to be right all the time, but I'm journeying towards you with my whole life and for my whole life. Where are you on your journey? God will meet you where you are. If you are in a place of confusion and doubt over your future, relationships, work, finances, whatever it might be, God will meet you there. If it's a place of pain and suffering, sickness, illness, God will meet you there. He knows pain and he knows suffering. What if you're in a place of discontentment, of frustration, of a deep, deep frustration with God, maybe, with others, with this world? He'll meet you there. There's more than one time when Jesus got frustrated in the Bible. Are you in a place where you actually know God really intimately and joyfully? He's still there. Dallas Willard, one of the great teachers of spiritual discipleship, said that maybe what we're looking for is a renovation of the heart. But sometimes there's about 10 things on the list that will hold you back. What are those 10 things on the list? What's holding you back? What's stopping you from inviting and keeping you in a fighting posture? The truth is that if our personal transformation is to be in line with biblical teaching, then we have to understand that what God does for us and in us is not meant to stay contained in us. It's meant to flow through us and have an effect on the people around us. Our transformation and our spiritual formation is always purposed to be shared and to be effective in the lives of others around us. And that's why it leads to a corporate transformation, a transformation of the body of Christ. If our new life is to be hidden in Christ, then it should be our heart's desire for the church to be hidden in Christ, to be unified in humility and compassion, to be resolute as a living, breathing body of believers who practice Paul's teachings to the Colossians, who are clothed in love and forgiveness and gentleness and don't just talk about it, but actually do it. It's these transformed behaviours and characteristics and attitudes that are actually attractive to the people outside the doors. It's not about winning an argument making a point come across, stamping your foot into the ground because you know that you're right. It's about love and compassion and gentleness. How much more invitational is that? How much less confrontational is that? It's the outworking of this transformed body of Christ that is a beaming light to the community out there who are seeking restoration but maybe don't have the language for it, who are searching but don't know what for, who are dreaming but don't know why, who might even be on the edge of just giving it all up because everything's so dark, they don't know what the purpose of anything is anymore. That's why we have a youth program. That's why we do enrich life. That's why we run Alpha. That's why the cafe ministry is so important because it gets us out of here and puts us out there. It gets us out of the comfortability of sitting in the pew and doing nothing else. It gets us out there living with people who need Jesus. It gives us the opportunity to actually be soul and light practically not just talking about it to make ourselves feel good, like we actually are Christians and once everything adds up I hope that you can see that what started as a personal revelation, transformation a renewing of the mind almost living out of a new self actually becomes a part of the greatest homecoming which is God's reconciliation of all things, above the earth, below the earth, and everything in between. It's always been about transformation, restoration, and reconciliation. It's always been about transformation, reconciliation, and restoration. And the ultimate end to transforming in our new life is our homecoming, where all things are reconciled, All things are put right. Heaven and earth bow to Jesus and all people are reconciled to our heavenly Father. Our homecoming will meet in Jesus' advent to us the second time when he brings a new heaven and a new earth. And it might look something like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth He will be with His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's homecoming. That's the end goal of our personal transformation. So would you stand with me this morning? I want to invite us into a space where we can actually respond to God. I want to ask you some questions. I want to give you the opportunity to raise your hand with everyone's eyes closed. Because the reality is we do a lot of talking, but sometimes we don't do enough doing when it comes to our own personal and spiritual transformation. So if everyone wouldn't mind closing their eyes for me, there's a couple people that I want to pray for and invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. If while I've been talking, this this idea, this notion of personal transformation, of the renewing of your mind, the spiritual battleground, and leaving behind this old self to to strive to pick up the new self is something that is burning in your heart, then please raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I want to lift you to God. And I want to say, come Holy Spirit. Wow. God sees all these hands raised. And for a second group of people, if you are in a space and place where you feel that your faith is so apathetic, so powerless, so lukewarm, that this idea that you're decision towards Jesus could mean a cosmic reconciliation doesn't seem right to you then I want to invite you to raise your hand as well I want to invite you to raise your hand to see what God can do with a submissive heart and a willing posture that you could play a part in the reconciliation of all things for Jesus sake Father, I thank you that you see each and every one of us. And regardless of what we might see ourselves as, you see us as your son and your daughter. Despite the brokenness, despite the darkness, despite the dysfunction, that title will never change, son and daughter. And so, Lord, I pray for all those who have identified that you've been speaking to them this morning and maybe those who in their heart know that you're calling them into something but were maybe afraid to put their hand up or doubtful to put their hand up. Jesus, I pray that you would still see them all the same. See us all the same, Father. I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit and under the authority of Jesus that we would see lives transformed that we would see minds under the lordship of King Jesus. That we would be a people that live out the call of Colossians 3, to clothe ourselves in humility and love and compassion, and to be a people that forgive, always reminded of what we've been forgiven for, ourself. Jesus, we see you, we hear you, we know you. I pray that you would make yourself known to us as we finish in worship now. Would your majesty and glory be glorified above all, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who will wipe every tear from our face, the one who will say, I am making all things new, the one who says, I am making you new. So bless us, I pray, and bless this time. Seal it in your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.